Hey, Odyssey team. This is your language arts podcast during the school closure. It's a way for you to access learning when you don't have internet at home or if you prefer audio lessons. Uh, your assignments will still be on Google Classroom. You can always contact me on Remind or by email. It is Friday, April 17th, and I want to talk to you about some of the issues that we are discussing in holes. So in this book, we are doing this week chapters 22 through 34, and you've got these parallel stories of Sam and Miss Catherine, and then Stanley and Zero, and that's intentional. What we're going to do when we go through these lessons this week, today, and then Monday and Tuesday, is we're going to unravel those two stories and then put them back together. So right now, I'd really like to focus on the story of Sam and Miss Catherine, and I need you to have a historical understanding of the time period in which they lived and what that was like for them in Texas, well, actually almost anywhere in the United States, really, um, that made that story possible. Because if we think about what happened to them in chapters 22 through, I think, 25, it's horrifying. But it's also not really that imaginary. This author put this together by looking at what life was like back then. And it was radically different for African-Americans than it was for white people. So what I want to do first is just give you kind of a quick rundown of the history of these situations in Texas itself, which is where they lived. So let's go quickly through 110 years ago from the modern part of the story is when Sam and Catherine's experience occurred. The story was published in 1998, which means the events in Green Lake occurred in 1888. So things you should know, Texas was on the Confederate side in the Civil War. They didn't see a lot of battles, or really any. So most people's lives were not affected too much until after the war when the slaves were freed in the Confederate states, which were now back in the United States. You need to know this, though, before I go into this whole thing about all of these states. Life was hard everywhere for African-Americans, not just in the slave states. There were northern states that did not believe in slavery, but they enacted these uh, black codes, which would later be adopted after slavery in the southern states, that made it really hard for freed African-Americans live in them. So uh, I looked it up. It's Connecticut, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and New York. They all had these laws that kept Black people from having political rights, including the right to vote, from attending, couldn't attend public schools, and they did not get equal treatment under the law. So even though they were legal citizens, they did not get treated like full citizens, which is against our constitution. But these were the laws of the land at the time. So just please know that this is not unique to Texas. It's not unique to the South. This awfulness was just sort of there everywhere. All right. So 1888, 20 years before Sam and Miss Catherine fell in love, the um, emancipation occurred. But some people were still enslaved for months or years afterwards in states like Texas that were further away from the seat of power of our nation. Um, But a year after that emancipation, Black Code started in those former slave states. 
And those codes, just like the ones in the North before the war, really limited the rights of Black people. They kind of mimicked the conditions of slavery. Um, then let's let me give you some specifics. So first of all, if you had at least one great grandparent who was black, you were bound by the black codes and they were really limiting. So first of all, to take a job, you had to sign a contract and you could not quit that job. If you quit that job, you lost all your wages, all of them. What you'd worked for before you lost those wages, no money. So you could end up owing your employer if you had, if you decided to quit. Secondly, once you had that job, if you disagreed with your boss vocally, like if you out loud disagreed with them, or if your boss decided that you didn't work hard enough, you would be fined a dollar for disagreeing or 25 cents per hour that your boss decided you didn't do enough. And that doesn't sound like a lot of money, but you have to remember, this is the 1880s. This is 120 years ago, 140 years ago. Um, that's like $25 in today's economy. So it would like you be, be like you being fined $25 every time you disagreed with your boss. And that adds up really fast. The average African-American worker in outside of the cities in the 1880s made $71 a year. So getting fined a dollar was huge. All right, what else? African-Americans could not vote, so they couldn't get these laws changed because they couldn't vote people into power who would, had an interest in changing them. They couldn't hold political office. So if you wanted to go in there and become a member of the Senate in order to get the laws changed, you couldn't do it. African-Americans could not be on juries. So if, and at the time, and as, as now, sheriffs were voted in. So if a racist sheriff charged you with something you didn't do in order to punish you, and you could be killed back then and now, um, the jury that listened to your case would be all white. Uh, African-Americans could not serve in the local militia, which is a group of citizen soldiers. They could not carry guns on plantations or homesteads. So back out in that, out in the country, they would not be allowed to carry guns in most areas. They could not attend public schools, so they couldn't get the education that they needed in order to resist. And intro, interracial marriage was banned. And that's really what happened with Sam and Catherine. It was against the law for them to fall in love um, in Texas in the 1880s. Uh, it was all pretty awful. And there were even worse things going on, but those are really more issues to cover in high school. But it was pretty terrible. And things you need to know... Um, According to the Bullock Museum, there were more, hundred, more than 468 documented lynchings between 1885 and 1942. So those are just the documented lynchings. A lynching is when somebody's home. Those are just documented. Like that doesn't count the ones like what happened to Sam where nobody involved cared to write it down or to tell anyone about it. So that number is probably a lot larger. Now that's all lynching, so it may include lynching. It includes lynching of white people, but the vast majority of people who were who this happened to were not white. So it was violent and it was scary. Um, there was definitely resistance forming. So the Freedmen's Bureau started in 1865. So again, about 20 years before Sam and Miss Kate, Miss Catherine got together. 
Um, and they worked hard to help African-Americans with legal issues, education, jobs. And there were even African-Americans in government during this little window between 1868 and 1864 before the crackdowns really got strict. But that's only six years, six years before they, the laws were able to make it so that couldn't happen again. By 1868, the Ku Klux Klan was present in Texas and already intimidating and insulting free people. Um, what they would do is very similar to or exactly like what happened with Sam, where um, they killed, shot him and uh, destroyed everything he built. Um, let's see what else. Since government makes and enforces the laws and African-Americans couldn't be part of the government, it meant that things happened like what happened to Sam and Catherine and there was no one to stop it. So that sheriff acting the way he did, there was nothing any African-American in that community could do to really stop that or to elect someone who didn't act like that. Um, and it continued on 20 years after Sam and Miss Catherine, they had a poll tax in Texas. A poll tax means you have to pay money in order to vote. And what that does is it means that people who don't have that extra money just lying around don't get to vote. So even when they finally removed some black codes and African-Americans were allowed to vote, the poll tax kept them from voting because all of the other laws had kept them poor and so this was a way to continue to discriminate without overtly discriminating. And it goes on and on and on. Um, there were these super blatantly racist things like they had a thing called the white primary, which meant that the Democratic primary for things like president and for all kind of political positions could only white people could vote in those. And that went on until 1944. That's less than 80 years ago. There are people alive today who were alive when those were in place. So this is the environment that Sam and Miss Catherine fell in love in. And this is the environment where the town became a mob and destroyed the schoolhouse and shot you know, Mary Lou and where the sheriff basically got drunk and assaulted Catherine and served zero consequence under the law. You can see how under these laws, what happened then was a thing. You know, it was a common thing to happen. Now, before I go on to like talking about the story, I want to make sure you understand that um, despite all of the pressure and these laws that were so dangerous and crippling, uh, against the freedoms of our African-Americans and even just the lives. These were not passive victims here. Um, resistance movements were there the whole time. They just had varying amounts of power. Um, sometimes the African-American resistance movements would be very quiet and work towards survival. And other times they were loud, but it was always a growing pressure to fix the situation. And there were, uh, schools and universities that sprung up that are now what we call our historically black universities to make sure that kids were educated and that you had gradually this increase of power. Um, black women worked in the defense industry during World Wars I and II, um, moving into areas where they could get more money. Uh, black men served their country in World War II heroically in many cases. 
Um, and what happened was there was this big movement of African Americans out from out in the country and into cities. And that caused resistance movements to be more centralized and more powerful. So I need you to understand that these were all terrible, horrible things in the ways of laws, but that it was the gradual and constant kind of resistance that put the end to them. So as you understand the history in our story, hopefully you understand the context for which the experience that Sam and Miss Catherine had occurred. So now that we have some context, let's go over what happened. Um, in chapters 25 and 26, we have the rising romance of Sam and Miss Catherine, and then its immediate and crushing destruction with um, the town becoming a mob and engaging in horrible things. Um, first of all, let's look at how Sam was treated in Green Lake. You see a acceptance and a kindness and a liking of Sam when he is the onion man. Um, but you also see this really quiet underlying appreciation of him combined with uh, minimizing of his contributions. So let's look first at the appreciation you see. So oh, I'm not far enough here. So Sam was the onion man. And when people got sick, they would go see Sam and um, his onions. And we have Sam was not much older than 20, uh, page 108. So nobody was quite sure that Mary Lou was really old. I mean, how would they know? Still, nobody ever argued with Sam. And whenever they were sick, they would go not only to Doc Hawthorne, but also to Sam. Sam also always gave the same advice. Eat plenty of onions. He said onions were good for the digestion, the liver, the stomach, the legs, the heart, and the brain. And he produced all these ointments, lotions, and syrup. Now, first we see, here's the first example we have of some minimizing. Um, Doc Hawthorne did not resent Sam. The folks of Green Lake were afraid to take chances. They would get regular medicine from Doc Hawthorne and onion concoctions from Sam. After they got over their illness, no one could be sure, not even Doc Hawthorne, which of the two treatments had done the trick. So Sam's the onion man, and yet he's also curing half the town of whatever's going on with them. And so, including baldness, Doc Hawthorne's was almost completely bald, and in the morning, his head often smelled like onions. So that's on page 108. We see the quiet appreciation the town has, but the fact that they don't really overtly tell Sam how grateful they are and how much they appreciate it. Now, a little later on chapter 26, you see Sam, who again has made these lovely ointments and stuff like that and is generally accepted by the town. Now, in chapter 26, after he's seen kissing Miss Catherine, the very first paragraph hits on one of the ways in which they minimize Sam's contributions because by the end of the day, everyone in Green Lake had heard that the school teacher, which is an accurate description of what Miss Catherine does, had kissed the onion picker, which is an inaccurate, minimizing description of what Sam does. Because Sam doesn't just pick onions, he has a secret stash that he grows. He makes 
all sorts of amazing things. These uh, ointments, lotions, syrups, paste, all made of onion groups, onion juice. Some for asthma, warts, pimples, arthritis, baldness. So this is what he does. He's more of a a grower, a farmer, a creator, um, stuff like that. But that's not what they refer to him as when they're not using his services. He is the onion picker. So that's an example of a super subtle minimization of his contribution to things. Um, the other is that when, Z when Sam goes in and he fixes the building on page 110, by the end of the first semester, Onion Sam had turned the old rundown schoolhouse into a well-crafted, freshly painted jewel of a building that the whole town was proud of. People passing by would stop and admire it. That's our schoolhouse. It shows how much we value education here in Green Lake. Now, if we were having this discussion, I would say, what's wrong with what they're saying? Um, and since you cannot answer it, I'm going to answer it for you. Uh, the description of the schoolhouse is old, rundown. So when the people of Camp Green Lake were in charge of keeping that schoolhouse up, they did not bother. It was old and rundown. Sam, who's in love with Miss Catherine, fixes it up. But they don't say, wow, that's our schoolhouse. It shows how much, you know, Onion Sam cares about our schoolhouse and our school children. Instead, they say it shows how much we value education. But that's not true. That's a lie. It also completely erases Sam's contribution. So you can see already, even before the people get violent, that they're already dismissing and erasing Sam from the good things and ignoring the good things that he does. So that whole idea of Sam being kind of minimized is part of that racism that you're seeing here in the way race is done. Now, this author also directly sets up Sam as a counter to Trout Walker. So these two characters are set up as being completely opposite. If you remember, Trout Rock Walker would come to class and he would, you know, be disruptive and misbehave. He would um, make fun of people because they didn't understand things. And he was not interested in education at all. He was the son of the wealthiest people in town. He had this big, loud, motorized boat. And he didn't care about learning or anything. But let's, and he wants to marry Miss Catherine. So he is one of her suitors. Now let's look at Sam. And all through this chapter, chapter 25, we see that Sam is the opposite of him. So um, Sam laughed. I'm good with my hands, he told her. I built my own boat. If it leaked, I'd be in big trouble. So where Trout Walker has a bought boat that is noisy and awful, at least that's how the author describes it, uh, Sam made his own boat. So he didn't use money to gain what he got. He made it himself. So there's a way that they're opposite. Um, Sam wasn't allowed to attend classes because he was a Negro, but they let him fix the building. There again is the town minimizing Sam. He can't go to school. You have those black codes in place, but he can fix the school building, which is sad. Um, but on that same page, on page 109, they say that Miss Catherine, quote, enjoyed what little conversation they were able to have shouting up and down to each other. She was surprised by his interest in poetry. When he took a break, she would sometimes read a poet to, poem to him. On more than one occasion, she would start to read a poem by Poe or Longfellow, only to hear him finish it for her, 
from memory. So not only is he interested in learning, but he's already learned on his own. He's memorized these poems by these famous uh, writers. And so, of course, he's a much better fit for her. And then she goes on, page 110. It was easier to talk to him when he, he was working on the windows. He told her about his secret onion field on the other side of the lake, where the onions grow year-round and the water runs uphill. And it goes on and on with them clearly having these wonderful conversations and slowly falling in love organically. So with Trout Walker, she's meant to be with him because she is beautiful, he is rich, boom. With Sam, she's legally not allowed to be with him, but they gradually fall in love and over their intellect, their shared ideas and things like that. So you have Sam who loves learning and education and does builds things and creates things and respects her and what she's interested in. You have Trout Walker who hates learning, is disinterested in education, who tears things down, like by picking on people and stuff like that, and doesn't really respect her or anything that she values. So it's two very opposite people, and the author has done that on purpose. And then um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is just that development of their relationship. So we see her notice his hands on page 109. We see her surprised by his interest in poetry, which, you know, I guess makes sense because he hasn't ever been to the school, but it hasn't occurred to her that that's because he can't until they start to talk. We see her sadness when each of the job is finished. Um, and then on page 110, the only person who wasn't happy with it was Miss, was Miss Catherine. She'd run out of things that need to be fixed. Um, and then at the end of the chapter, is something wrong? Sam asked her. Oh, Sam, she said, my heart is breaking. I can fix that, said Sam. She turned to him. He took both of her hands and kissed her. So what I like about that is all the way through, he keeps saying, well, I can fix that. I can fix that. I can fix that. And finally, at the end of the chapter, they get to the one thing that she really needs to have fixed, which is she is in love with him and not in all of these external things in the building were just ways that she could keep him near her. And so you have the growth of this relationship, and that's how the author ends the chapter. But then we have that everybody finds out about it. And that's where we see the racism come into play. Miss um, Catherine sat alone in the classroom and wondered if she had lost track of the day of the week. Perhaps it was Saturday. And that's the author's way of telling you that nobody sent their children to school by the next day. By the end of the day, everybody knew about it. So the next day, no one sent their kids to school, all because she kissed a black man. She heard a noise out the side the door, and suddenly a mob of men and women came storming into the school building. This is page 112. They were led by Trout Walker. So here it is again. Trout Walker leading the violence, leading the mob, being the terrible person that Sam is not. They turned over desks. They ripped down bulletin boards. Now, here's an interesting thing. Someone made a grab for her, tearing her dress, but she managed to get out of the building. She ran to the sheriff's office. And we are left wondering, okay, what would have happened if they had caught her? And history answers that question for us. Uh, white women who kissed black men were often assaulted. They were often hurt. Uh, families would lock them away, uh, beaten, things like that. Um, so it was pretty bad. And then she runs to the sheriff. And remember what I talked to you guys about with the history part of this, 
this sheriff is probably not going to be sympathetic. And it turns out he isn't. He's been drinking. And then he tells her to kiss him. You're sure pretty, said the sheriff on page 113. Miss Catherine stared at him in horror. Kiss me, said the sheriff. She slapped him across the face. He laughed. You kiss the onion picker. Why won't you kiss me? She tried to slap him again, but he caught her by the hand. She tried to wriggle free. You're drunk, she yelled. I always get drunk before a hanging. A hanging? Who? It's against the law for a Negro to kiss a white woman, says the sheriff. So the very person whose job it is to protect people from violence is forewarning her, not in a warning way, but in a, this is going to happen, that Sam is now going to die just because they were in love. And that horror, that like despair that happens when the person whose job it is to keep law and order is just part of the problem is what it was like. And so Catherine says, well, then you'll have to hang me too, said Catherine, because I kissed him back. Ain't against the law for you to kiss him, Sheriff explained, just for him to kiss you. And that's a perfect example of how unfair everything was. We're all equal under the eyes of God, she declared. The Sheriff laughed. When as Sam and I are equal, why won't you kiss me? He laughed again. I'll make you a deal. One sweet kiss and I won't hang your boyfriend. I'll just run him out of town. Miss Catherine jerked her hand free. As she hurried to the door, she heard the sheriff say, law will punish Sam and God will punish you. And then we all know how it continues. And it's such a horrible chapter and such a deep set of like just despair how everything went wrong for them. But if you look at the way that history is in this time period, that's exactly what would have happened. That's exactly how it goes. Um, now, the thing to keep in mind here is that um, Mary Lou gets shot, Sam gets shot, and Miss Catherine goes. Now, after 20 years, so now we're talking in the early 1900s, um, Kate Barlow returned to Green Lake. So we'll go into chapter 28, so page 120. It was a place where nobody would ever find her, a ghost town on a ghost lake. The peach trees had all died, but there were a couple small oaks growing by an old abandoned cabin. I'm going to pause here for a second so you can think about the warden's cabin, because the author is dropping hints everywhere that that cabin is the old abandoned cabin. The cabin used to be on the eastern shore of the lake, and now the edge of the lake was over five miles away. It was a little more than a small pond of dirty water. She lived in the cabin. Sometimes she could hear Sam's voice echoing across the emptiness. Onions, sweet, fresh onions. She knew she was crazy. She knew she'd been crazy for the last 20 years. Oh, Sam, she would say, into speaking into the vast emptiness. I know it's hot, but I feel so very cold. My hands are cold. My feet are cold. My face is cold. My heart is cold. And sometimes she would hear him say, I can fix that. And she'd feel his warm arm across her shoulder. And then Trout Walker's dirty, nasty feet come in. And he decides she's going to kill him. He's going to kill her. Now, let's take a minute here. We've got a nice parallel with modern times as well with Trout Walker's feet. Because, of course, what is uh, Stanley's dad working so hard to invent? If you say a foot order thing, you are correct. Uh, but this is important. A red-headed woman was there with Trout. Kate could see her rummaging through the cabin, dumping drawers and knocking things from the shelves of cabinets. Linda Miller, asked Kate, is that you? 
Linda Miller had been in the fourth grade when Kate Barlow was still a teacher. She had cute, freckled-faced girl with beautiful red hair. Now her face was blotchy and her hair was dirty and scraggly. It's Linda Walker now, said Trout. Oh, Linda, I am so sorry, said Kate. Now let's take a minute. She's a redhead, just like the warden. So this reinforces what we discussed in our Zoom, which is that the warden is a descendant of Trout Walker. And so if you imagine... Trout Walker being vicious and mean. His wife, Linda Walker, does not sound very pleasant either. Uh, Later we found out she married Trout for his money, but it all dried up. And then she and Trout go out and tie her legs together so she could walk and take her out into basically the desert. I mean, these are mean, horrible people. These mean, horrible people who still do not seem to regret what they did or see the drying up of the lake as the consequence, like kind of a religious consequence for their actions of killing a man for falling in love. They, they don't see that anything that had happened that day is wrong and they are mean and terrible. And then if you imagine the warden who would be like the granddaughter, maybe I would think, or great granddaughter of Trout Walker. So these two people would raise children. They'd probably be mean to their children who would then grow up to be mean to their children who would then grow up to be mean to the warden when she was a little girl. The warden really never had a chance to be a good human being. So you can see that if she's descended from them, she was kind of destined. I mean, if you think about it on page 122, they talk about how they walked her one way than the other till her feet were black and blisters. Whenever they, she stopped, Linda whacked her with a shovel. So clearly mean people who are going to raise mean people. And then um, we see the death finally of Kate Barlow uh, with the lizard bite. So anyway, I wanted you to kind of see this story and to look at the racism in this story, which is really the deriving part of this story, um, this thread of the story. Now, I did want to leave you on kind of, I guess, a high note. And that is that three days after Sam's death, we see the beginning of kissing Kate Barlow. She's still technically Miss Catherine. We're on page 114. And we have three days after Sam's death, Miss Catherine shot the sheriff while he was sitting in his chair, drinking a cup of coffee. Then she carefully applied a fresh coat of red lipstick and gave him the kiss he'd asked for. For the next 20 years, kissing Kate Barlow was one of the most feared outlaws in all the West. So we talk about justice and injustice. and Miss Catherine left the sheriff with him saying, the law will judge Sam and God will judge you. And this was Catherine's way of saying, no, I am going to judge you. And that killing and kissing the sheriff is the first time she acts as kissing Kate Barlow. And then for 20 years, she continues. Now the tie-ins with Stanley, we have, of course, remember kissing Kate Barlow, kidnapped his great-grandfather and took all of his money but let him live. And now we understand a little better that that choice was probably not random. That was, he was not a bad person. She clearly was only kissing and killing bad people like the sheriff. And because there was systemic racism at the time, and that was the norm, her version of what a bad person is was different from society's. So people didn't understand that she was only killing bad people by her definition. So anyway, that's kind of the theme of racism. And as it's coming out in that story, and then a few little notes on how that story ties up with this one. 
So one of the challenges of doing this via podcast and doing videos and things is that we don't get to have those rich classroom discussions. In a classroom discussion, I would have given you the history lesson part of this. We would have done it as a slideshow. And then honestly, you guys are so capable and so insightful that you would have hit on everything that I did in this podcast and probably more. So I'm hopeful that this at least can give you a little bit of what we would have already kind of figured out on our own. We are going to talk about this uh, on Monday as well. But for those of you who can't be there, this is really kind of the, the take home. Um, we're going to look a little bit more at the racism theme on Monday in the podcast. And then I'm going to hit the other themes that you might want to look at for your final essay on the other days. And I guess that's it for Friday, April 17th. Um, please remember you or your parents are welcome to contact me, Ms. Hunter or Ms. Billers at any time on Google Classroom by email, by calling us, however you need to get a hold of us, please do. Miss um, Waters, Mr. Fogel are also available, Mr. Carlson, Ms. Murphy, you know, we're all here if you need us. Um, or even if you don't, even if you just want to check in or you're missing your faces and we just want to help out. Um, you take care, Odyssey team. All right, enjoy the sunshine. The weather's getting better and better. And I will talk to you again soon.